I V M. Folks, welcome to Paisa Paisa. I'm your host Anupam Gupta, B50 on Twitter, and in today's episode, I'm talking about microfinance, MSME lending, and much more. My guest, Manish Kotari, President and Head Commercial Banking, Kotak Mahindra Bank, and we will be back with a conversation right after this short break. Manish, welcome to Paisa Paisa. Thank you so much for doing this for our listeners. It's great to have another guest from Kotak Mahindra Bank. We had Deepak Sharma in April. Thank you so much for doing this for our listeners. Thank you, Anupam. Pleasure is all mine. Yeah, great to have you here. Okay, I want to start talking about microfinance with what exactly it is. We know the concept, what it is. There's micro and there's finance. But if you could just help our listeners understand A, why is this so important? B, how big is the sector? So microfinance was started by Professor Yunus in Bangladesh and Grameen Bank. And the entire concept actually hinges around social collateral. Yeah, so it's a joint liability group where a group of women borrowers stand as collateral for each other. Yeah, so it's a lending which you do small ticket size unsecured financing to women borrowers who come together as a group and stand guarantee for each other while they individually take the loans. And these loans are specifically for economic use, which means effectively you are funding women entrepreneurs in the microfinance setup. And the industry in terms of size over a period has come a long way. I would say close to about three and a half lakh crores in terms of size. It's a very large industry now and growing at a pace of 20% plus as we talk. That's huge. How is lending, you know, to a borrower who's a woman very different? What's unique about it? Why is it important? And how do you see this shaping out going forward? So I think this is financial inclusion to the last mile, if I may use the word. A segment which was prone to taking money from money lenders at uh, usurious rates today is getting formalized to a small extent in its own way through this in this particular route. And these are all borrowers spread across the country, small villages, not even towns, but small villages where they effectively come together. The money's need is primarily for economic use. So it could be small activities like purchasing a cattle for selling milk to a dairy, or it could be sericulture, breeding silkworms, or it could be poultry, it could be tillering unit, it could be we have even seen somebody who started a car servicing or a wow. car wash kind of a facility. So these are women entrepreneurs and from their regular, they do not have surpluses. But because they know each other, they come together as a group where new women borrowers keep getting added. And there is that degree of pressure to ensure that the money is used for the purpose they are taking it for. And that economic activity generates the surplus to also provide the repayment and the flexibility of repayment it could be weekly it could be fortnightly it could be monthly so the loan is structured in a manner that people find it comfortable because a lot of them would be earning money daily right so a milk is a daily product where you sell the milk that gets sold on a daily basis so somebody may want to choose a weekly repayment somebody may want to choose a fortnightly repayment so it's a model which works perfectly and because I found I personally believe that women are far more disciplined in terms of borrowing as well which is showcased in terms of the kind of collection efficiency we see in the microfinance business today. Wow. I'm just, you know, I have like so many questions out here. Let's make this a little bit more personal in the sense yeah. that if there's someone who's listening into this episode right now and can actually use this, what 
is the process like? Like, what does this person who's listening to it, what does she have to do? Like, does she have to go to the nearest Kotak branch? How wide is your coverage for that matter? I mean, is this like really at the last mile? How does the process start? And what's it like servicing that loan? And when does that loan get over? Can you just walk through the entire thing? Sure. So these are centers that we run in the remotest of villages. Just to give you a flavor, 700 plus branches across 12 states. And each branch would be catering to at least multiple centers, right? So center is where the women borrowers congregate and where they meet at a defined frequency at a defined time. Yeah, so suppose it's a fortnightly kind of a process. So every particular day in a week, in a particular fortnight, the meeting would happen at six in the morning, goes up till about maybe 10 o'clock in the morning, because that is the time when people find it far more convenient to convene together as a group in the village. And the women has to be sponsored by the rest of the group. Or if suppose it's a completely new village and they want to start a group, usually four to five women will need to come together as a group. And Currently, we operate out of our 100% subsidiary, which is BSS Microfinance. And they go to the BSS Microfinance official and say that, okay, we want to start a center in this village. Or if there is an existing center, then the existing group of women will have to sign off that, yes, this new women borrower, we are agreeing to stand collateral for. And hence, this women should be included. And it's a very simplified process. There is a basic application form, basis which a new women borrower comes in, talks about what exactly is the amount of loan they want. And that amount of loan also is signed off by all the other women borrowers, which means there is that social fabric which decides, is it the right amount? Is it the right borrower? And they obviously know in the village that will the end use be appropriate or not? And will this woman actually make the payment on a fortnightly basis if it's a fortnightly process which they follow. And the economic end use is, so once the center manager collects the application, it gets sent by the next center meeting which happens, the person is ready with the disbursement and the disbursement effectively happens in the next center meeting. Usually, while the approval comes in a matter of a couple of days, it's a reasonably simple process which runs. But you would ensure that in every center meeting, there are people, if they are getting inducted, you collect the application form. If there is a disbursement which has to be done, the person organizes for the disbursement. And it's a very, very simple document which gets executed. It's not a complicated document because this is, you are dealing with people at the absolutely, if I may use the word, bottom of the pyramid. As per the RBI regulation which came in recently, the household income for somebody to qualify as a microfinance borrower, the household income should be not more than 3 lakh rupees per annum. Oh, wow. Yeah, so the household income is 3 lakh rupees per annum and the overall household obligations for against that 3 lakh rupees should not be more than 1.5 lakh rupees. So we have to take care of that data in terms of while we are collecting the data about the entire family that, okay, what is the household income and what exactly, who are the earning members? So what's the overall obligation which they may have if they have other loans in the family and all of that. I'm just trying to understand that what is the average ticket size here for Kotak or for the industry? So, what are the interest rates and you know, how does this work? So the overall ticket size for the industry would be about close to 52,000 rupees per borrower. Okay. And for Kotak, our average ticket size would be at about 42, 43,000 rupees in terms of average ticket size. So the ticket size itself can give you an idea of the kind of social status, the people you are addressing and the financial inclusion agenda, which is getting driven through this. Just to give you a flavor today, 
66.6 crore women borrowers are part of the MFI industry. So 66.5 crores. 6.6 crore. 6.6. Okay. 6.6 crore women borrowers are currently accessing credit facilities. Wow. Through the MFI industry, so that gives you an idea, of, and this is across practically every state you can think of. So it gives you an idea of the kind of spread of the industry today in terms of the width and the depth. In terms of how much of formalization has happened, thanks to the microfinance industry really growing, and over a period the regulation really getting stronger, and RBI also regulating the entities. I would say that. the 3 lakh household income there was a ncr survey which had happened recently and microfin which is a all the microfinance institutions organization there was a survey we conducted and close to about 20 odd crore borrowers give or take have or 20 odd crore households have a income of which is below 3 lakh rupees wow. and if today we have 6.6 crore borrowers which means this industry has currently touched about 30% odd Very of the overall yeah. base that is available in the country wow i'm just trying to visualize this right i mean if this is say three or four or five women who are getting together and making a dairy or maybe supplying milk to the nearest amul coop or whatever it is and you know they come to you with a proposal i'm sure that's how it works what would be the ticket size of the loan there i, mean, I don't know what's the value of a cow so so, so i'll give you an that. idea so uh, normally a uh, cow would cost anywhere between 80000 rupees to a lakh these women borrowers do not come together for setting up a business that they own together okay yeah these are women borrowers who come together who have a requirement of some funding to start a business and somebody may say okay i want to you know i need some money to purchase a cattle somebody may have already 40 50000 rupees there is a gap somebody may want to purchase a few goats somebody may want to purchase hen for poultry business somebody may say okay i can get an order for tailoring somebody can use it for like i said we had a customer who created a car service center sure, sure. Uh, for a car wash and basic facilities which may be there so the usage can be practically anything they come together because there is a minimum need for creating a social kind of a group or a joint liability group you need at least four five six people coming together sure. who are standing guarantee for each other and ready to say that okay we want to take credit facilities from a bank or a nbfc who are operating in this particular space okay and, and the interest rates just for an idea so interest rates are usually if i may say anywhere between 20 to 25% hmm. and there are primarily two reasons for that and the money lenders rates are on a per day basis right usurious yeah, to yeah, the extent yeah. that we can't even talk but the operating costs of this business is very very high I because understand. you need to actually run branches in the remotest of places and everything is currently physical which means that the center manager has to go every day to a particular center have a meeting with the respective women borrowers and the entire process in terms of collecting an application in terms of ensuring a disbursement on a every 15 day basis suppose you give a 2 year loan every 15 day there is a repayment somebody has to go physically and collect the payment as well from the center and hence the operating costs are very high secondly because it, it's unsecured in nature there are like any other lending business there are risks as well right so covid period had brought its own risk demonetization brought its own risk so there will be risks which are associated to the business and i would say that this is a business which is going to 
evolved dramatically over a period of time as technology starts to possibly play a role in terms of how you work with customers and how also customers transact, pay, etc. However, the joint liability concept works only when everyone comes together and there is that physical interaction that happens. And then I keep thinking that in the technology world, you can't really knock that out of the equation because then it will become an individual loan, which also, by the way, interestingly, I must share with you over a period as the borrower creates a track record with a bank or with the NBFC on microfinance lending, the ticket sizes move up and you reach a stage where either the household income becomes much larger or the ticket sizes become amenable to individual lending. And there are enough borrowers who then migrate and the same banks or the same NBFCs then treat them outside of the joint liability concept and look at them for individual loans. That's an opportunity basically. It is actually happening yeah, as we yeah, talk. So yeah. I'm just, you know, I'm just fascinated. And you said that this is done physically. Yes. Us people here sitting in urban, you know, metro yeah. cities and all that. I think every yeah. second day you get a call from XYZ and SMS from ABC saying that 12 lakh loan approved for you, 15 yeah. lakh loan approved for you. All your, What, you know, how will this gap ever be crossed? So, I mean, what's going forward? How do you think this is going to happen? So interestingly, things are changing with technology and I had attended one center meeting in one of the rural villages and I realized that out of the 15 women borrowers, four or five of them had smartphones. The rest of them had feature phones. And I asked them this question that, you know, how many of you have a smartphone in the house? Everyone said that we have now one smartphone in the house. Maybe the husband has it or maybe the daughter or the son has it, but the household said one smartphone in the house. Internet penetration fastest growth has been in rural. And now more and more, the younger population, even in the rural areas, are far more digital ready, if I may say. And connecting with the borrower has already started to happen through an app. So in our business, we have launched an app only this year, actually. It went live on the Google Play Store. And we are seeing downloads of the app, which is happening. There are some borrowers who are also making payments on the app. So UPI has created a dramatic revolution in terms of from the point of view of making payment or collecting payments and because of the fact that there is no cost attached to the payments that you make. And in my view, over time, it's a question of time where the way you address the customer, you and I, I don't recollect ever going to a bank branch now for years. Yeah, I'm sure (laughs) that is true for you as well. That time will come when even the borrowers in the rural areas will be happy not going to a branch and would be absolutely comfortable transacting or dealing on the mobile app. And that will bring down the cost of servicing Servicing, a customer dramatically. And that should help the cause of penetration and the multiple products which tend to get offered. And I'm quite hopeful of that because, and thanks to e-commerce as well, where they are reaching out to more and more pin codes in tier four, tier five, tier six cities, people are getting far more comfortable using mobile to transact. What kind of default rates are we looking at out here since you mentioned about the cost of servicing such a loan? So I must share with you that, again, these are phases. So during the COVID period, of course, the industry would have seen credit costs of anywhere between 3 to 5% in that zone, give or take. Post-COVID, the industry is looking fantastic. Today, on-demand collection efficiency would be close to 98% plus, nice. which means if you are having a demand of 100 rupees, 98 plus rupees is getting paid on time. So now one is seeing much lower credit costs post-COVID era, during the COVID two to three year period, we did see three to five percent. During demonetization, maybe another two percent, three percent. So there are more event risks because what 
basically takes away the livelihood of a person or impacts the livelihood of a person is when defaults actually happen. Otherwise, from an intent point of view, we are not seeing too much of a challenge from when when I when I look at the sector. Mm. It's more harsh event which creates a problem of livelihood and genuinely then there is no money to pay. And does the fact that this is a group that comes to you, does that probably make it better or easier for them to service this loan? See, I have personally seen small amounts. Definitely the group comes together to make the weekly payment or the fortnightly payment or the monthly payment. When the group meeting happened, at least the event, the group meeting I attended, I saw that two women borrowers were not carrying the money and the others chipped in because the amounts are small, right? So 1000 rupees, 1500, those kind of amounts, the two, three of them chipped in, they know their way to settle it separately, right? So, so they chipped in, but I'm sure that COVID kind of a situation happens where there is no money or the livelihood has been impacted dramatically. I guess even the others would also find it not easy to kind of chip in to make good the default, but yes. There is that degree of social pressure that works. Sure. Last question before we go into a small break, Manish. I know that they're both not related, but if I look at it from the borrower's perspective, you have a gold loan, okay, which is, you know, it's a secure product, it's gold. But from me as someone who wants money for a business venture, if I have two options, microfinance and gold loan, how should I approach it? So gold loan is definitely far cheaper. And it is from an access point of view, it is available in the form of a bullet. So you don't need to necessarily make any installment payments during the course, right? So you could, and there is, as and when you are in a position to generate sufficient surplus, you can pay off the gold loan. So I would say that if you do not have enough cash flow to make a fortnightly or a monthly payment, then gold loan is a better option because you can have a one-year loan where the principal has to be paid at the end of one year and you can very easily refinance it as well because the value of gold is still there and the financing rates are much lower. In terms of accessibility-wise, there is reasonable access of gold loan as well, while microfinance is much more deeper because it comes to your doorstep. In case of gold loan, you have to go to the gold loan branch with the Mm. jewelry. Mm. And I have found that people make their choices basis what is appropriate at a point in time. So it is not either or. It depends upon what your total requirement is and at a point in time what suits you more. And I guess people make those choices. Because a lot of times there is that emotions also attached to gold. We should not forget that. And you may have a function or a wedding in the family and you may want the gold back and all of those. So I find that both industries are thriving. Yeah. Gold loan industry is 6 lakh crores. A microfinance yeah. industry is 3.5 lakh crores. Uh, both enough, are surviving. Enough place for both of them to grow. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I feel that I can have so many questions that I have right now on this. But I want to cover the other areas that you also look at. So we're going to take a small break out here. Folks, we will be right back talking about MSME, commercial banking, infra lending and a whole lot more right after this short break. And welcome back. Okay, Manish, let's talk about your mandate beyond microfinance. What are the large parts and sectors of commercial banking that you handle? And if you can just touch upon each and every one of them in brief, how are they doing and stuff like that? So a large part of what the commercial bank focuses on is priority sector customers. And microfinance is one of them. Apart from those, I handle a business which is 
focused on MSMEs in the agri-value chain. Yeah, so it could be traders, it could be primary processors, secondary processors, etc. Warehouse financing, which is also attached to it, or cold storage, etc. Which goes agri-infrastructure, which sure, goes sure. into it. So that's the agri-value chain. There's another business which I run, which is tractor finance. Tractor finance again touches upon customers in the hinterlands and. Farmers are the customers for the tractor finance business. Yeah. Then two other businesses are commercial vehicle financing, which is effectively focused on the logistics space. And they're right from the small commercial vehicle to light commercial vehicle to the medium heavy commercial vehicle, the entire range and buses as well. Another business is construction equipment, which is focused on the infra space. That's a space which is an upcoming space growing at a fast clip as India builds its infrastructure. And here again, we finance all kinds of borrowers right from individuals to sole proprietorships to partnerships to private limited and limited companies for their sure. requirements of construction equipment. And I also have a team which focuses on the working capital needs of these infra companies or logistic companies. Yeah. Let's just, you know, talk about the agri part. Let's just classify them as agri commercial vehicles, that is auto or whatever you want to call it and MSMEs. Okay. So if I look at all three, how is the agri sector doing as such as of now? So, so the agri sector per se, last four, five years, the monsoon has really been good in terms of a cycle because it's a very, India continues to be a monsoon driven agri space, at least for 40, 50% of the produce. Monsoon is a very critical element. And last four, five years, the monsoon has really been fine. This year, I guess bit early while, to say we are still uh, in the middle of it. Yeah. Yet to conclude in terms of how the monsoon will really go. And the MSPs have been reasonably good. So overall, the rural as a sector, I would say, has done well. Sure. And uh, last year tractors had its highest numbers in terms of sale, while this year it's till first four months it has been flat. Sure. But last year was a fantastic year. And I would say it's a volatile space from a Anybody, if you look at financing a commodity, then yes, commodities are volatile, right? Mm -hmm. So Ukraine happened and commodity prices went up and then we are seeing commodity prices cool off and then suddenly now cash crops, commodity prices going okay. up again. So it's a space which has its own share of volatility. But overall, I guess India is a significantly a domestic consumption economy. And I guess the space, I find it to be a pretty stable space and the number of players in the or the companies in the MSME space in the agri value chain are quite a bit. Sure. If I classify commercial vehicles in the broader infra financing space, you know, let's just make it a little bit more wider. How is yeah. infrastructure as an entire sector doing? So infra, I guess the government's focus on infra has been very, very strong. And any country which has to really grow at a fast clip will need very strong infrastructure to support the overall economic activity which happens in the country. And the beauty of CapEx, which goes in the infra space, is it provides a multiplier effect to the overall growth in the economy. And I would say that whether it is roads, whether it is ports, airports, power-related infrastructure or sanitation-related infrastructure, sewerage-related infrastructure, massive amounts of money continue to get poured because the scope of infrastructure in terms of growth, in my view, is just unbelievable. In fact, I had met a customer, I remember, and the person said it was a not a very large town. And the guy said, if we need to ensure that we get all the sewerage for this town in place, we will need to spend 5,000 crores. And I'm mm. talking about one town in the country, and we have hundreds yeah, of yeah, similar yeah. towns. So the scope of work involved in infra is huge. And 
obviously the construction equipment business that i mean i am finding companies after companies after companies who are coming out of nowhere small towns these companies are there wow. so there are lots and lots of regional players so while there may be very large players they end up subcontracting a lot of their work and that's where the regional players really come in so a lot of the sanitation works a lot of the road etc yeah. get subcontracted to smaller players and who have large requirements then of construction equipment and we are finding this space last year it grew at close to about 30% or this year also 20% plus growth in the first four months nice so i'm quite bullish about this space yeah and the last piece here would be msmes how is that segment doing we had protein on a show sometime back and you know that's always been a bit of a sticky area to be in probably slightly high yielding but also i guess the cost of servicing there is also pretty high so what's happening there so it's a space interestingly yesterday i the msme pulse report had come and the significant part of the growth last year has been in the micro space for small has been largely flat and the medium enterprises have actually the credit growth has not been as high and almost 94 95% of the overall borrowers close to about 65 million odd borrowers in that particular space 95% are micro enterprises hmm. and you just probably define that for yeah, our so listeners below below 1 crore lending falls in the micro space 1 to 5 crore would fall in the small space and for 10 to 50 crore is medium and 1 to 10 crore is small and below 1 crore is micro these are ticket sizes of the ticket loans ticket sizes of the loans that are given yeah. and effectively the micro is the space where there is significant banking which is still not happened yeah so those yeah. customers are not yet having credit limits in the formal banking system small enterprises medium enterprises would all have proper banking facilities and the growth is happening very significantly in the micro space partly because of the penetration which banks are able to drive thanks to digital and mm. gst is helping and you know all the itrs which people are ending up filing all of that is providing a digital trail for banks to work upon because like you rightly said if you have to make the financing cost effective the cost to serve has to come down and That's you right. need to be in a position to do evaluation of these facilities digitally and as companies start to leave a digital trail individuals or partnership firms or uh, companies start to leave a digital trail people will have the ability to be able to evaluate and take decisions and also provide financing digitally because today you can do the entire assessment digitally you can do documentation digitally you yeah. can open bank accounts digitally you can finance it digitally so all of that is really helping the space grow fast yeah. and which is the reason why practically every bank today is saying that msme is a space or a segment which there is i have not found anybody saying we are not focusing on it because the number of borrowers you can really or new to bank borrowers itself can be so large that you can continue to grow in the space for longest of time Yeah, I just hope that they get the discipline right also because new to yeah. creditors always a bit of you know to create any early trends to indicate how their behavior and discipline is going so, along. See, I'll tell you. Eventually, part of the discipline is also linked to how the economy is doing. Right now, I would say the economy is doing fine. Everyone grows along with the economy. The other important thing which is changing behavior is the fact that now credit scores are becoming very important. Hmm. and the credit bureaus and the scores whether it's a msme or whether it's an individual people are becoming more and more conscious of the fact that if i need to get financing from a formal nbfc or a bank i will need to ensure that my credit score is appropriate yeah. and hence that is 
pushing the behavior also in the right direction and i would say that that's a fantastic thing which is happening from the perspective of the country yeah and i hope that it stays that way i mean yes the banking sector as it stands today like we were just talking in the break is in that very you know sweet spot that delinquency seem to be fine balance sheets are not so very yeah. stressed and etc etc interest rates i don't know maybe they're peaking maybe they're still some time away you think this will sustain do you see any risk any areas of concern you know that if xyz happens then you would be like really careful so if you ask me current interest rates i would not put them in a zone of concern the current interest rates i would say that people are still getting financing in single digits whether it is msmes whether it is housing loans or whether it be car loans etc etc and uh, from the point of view of servicing i would say that the interest rates are fine the impact can happen if the interest rates go on to go up further which means that either crude goes up or the inflation in terms of commodity prices start to move up and that is also linked largely to geopolitical india currently seems largely okay but eventually as part of the overall global setup if we suddenly crude prices cross 100 mm-hmm. right now it's 75 to 85 it has been in a zone and we are fine with that as a country and overall if the inflation starts to move up dramatically and there is a concern and there is political instability in the country or the economic growth starts to get impacted because of geopolitical issues yeah. then there is a reason to worry yeah. otherwise i would say that as things stand today position seems fine yeah. one has to watch out for how the monsoon really plays out and geopolitical is something you can never not in our country say anything right so ukraine yeah. happened without anybody knowing that it would happen yeah. lovely funny so we are done with the episode as such but i have my last question which is a standard question to all my guests and i hope that yeah. you will also answer it what content recommendations do you have is there any interesting book that you are reading that you would like to share with our listeners so i usually read two books at the same time nice. uh, so the that? idea is dono thoda thoda one day you read one of the books the other day you read the other book so i mean how does that work for you it's actually good that you can shift your focus between two yeah. books and that see i'll that tell you well. why it works well for me is because what you read it depends on the content you are reading sure. but what you read if it you need absorption time then ah. two books work for me good yeah nice, so because nice, nice so, tip so then you let read one chapter of a book or 10 pages 15 pages of one book and let it seep in or you absorb the content <laughs> and shift to the other book and then you know kind of pick up stuff from there and then see how do you that really absorb that valuable tip for our listeners please you are saying so the two books which uh, i am currently reading one is small is big by amit agarwal mm. and it really talks about the impact of getting the small things right and how when you get the small things right the big things automatically become right okay. and the second one is book by jim collins called great by choice he's the he guy who's written built to, built last, to last and good to great good to great so great by choice and uh, he talks about interestingly about obviously he's used 20 years of research and brought out the content in terms of what differentiates companies and uh, who have consistently outperformed their peers mm. during the most difficult of phases as well so the tips which come out of that book things like productive paranoia or fanatic discipline i guess those tips are very relevant for today's times because we are in a very volatile world and how do you really deal with the volatility while continuing to innovate while continuing to grow is something which fascinated me and hence uh, yes. i so i'm reading these two books at the same straight time. link between the two right because if you get the first book which is small is big small is big by amit agrawal you know you will probably land up 
being more aware and better able to adapt which is i think the message of great yeah. by choice by of course yeah, legendary see, fanatic Collins. fanatic discipline is about ensuring that the small things you want to do you have to do it every single day it's like exercising every day wow and i got this quote regular is not daily daily means it uh-huh. has to be done daily uh-huh. regular is not daily wow yeah, is so it's from great from no no not from this book okay. this is from my spiritual teacher mahatriya i follow wow. a path called infinitism and he shared this regular is not daily uh-huh. and which is a fact and i have never heard anything like that but it's profound yeah. it's very simple when you sit and think about it it's really interesting folks so there you go two excellent book recommendations and that is a wrap on this episode of paisa paisa my guest manish kotari president and head commercial banking kotak mahindra bank manish thank you so much for doing this all listeners absolutely my pleasure and wonderful speaking to you anupam thank, thank you so, so much, much manish thank you and listeners you can check out other interesting podcasts on the ivm network you can listen to us on the ivm podcast app or ivmpodcast.com you can also follow us on our social media we are ivm podcast on twitter and instagram and if you want to reach out to me i am your host anupam gupta p50 on twitter and folks thank you so much thank you for listening to paisa paisa and listeners if you like this podcast you can subscribe to our youtube channel where you get to watch the full video episodes you can check out other interesting podcasts on the ivm network you can listen to us on the ivm podcast app or ivmpodcast.com you can also follow us on our social media we are ivm podcast on twitter and instagram if you want to reach out to me i am your host anubham gupta b50 on twitter and thank you really folks thank you so much for listening to paisa paisa No material on the show should be considered as financial advice. The material on the show is for informational purposes only. Please consult a financial advisor before taking any investment decision.